first uh, chapter of Matthew. Of course, I was thinking this would be on the 24th, but I think it's worthy of our attention here, the last Lord's Day, last day, actually, of a year. And I hope it would be an encouragement to all of us in our own evangelism as we seek to serve the Lord. My brother has just encouraged us to, to remember the gospel is going forth. So we'll begin reading the very first words there of Matthew's gospel. Hear, hear the word of God. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Minadab, and Abinadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Solomon, Solomon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, Joram the father of Uzziah, Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah. And Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abihud, and Abihud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim. And the Achim, the father of Elihud, <clears throat> Elihud, the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar, the father of Mathen, and Mathen, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way, and his mother Mary had betrothed to Joseph before they came together. She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> and her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not, be a, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God's with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did, not, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. That's what the reading of the word of God. Let's pray. Lord, we need your help. These things are not new to us. We've, many of us, even these children have heard this account over and over, and these names sometimes are difficult to remember, difficult to pronounce, and yet you've given us uh, to us in your word. Please bless now as we give consideration to it that we may see you more clearly, hear you clearly, that we may give our life to serve you faithfully. Have mercy upon us, Lord. Uh, we are in such great need of you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
I know you're probably wondering, what is he going to make of that genealogy? Well, uh, I'll tell you in a moment. Well, like many of you, like many of you, I'm sure you've had uh, visits by members of the Jehovah's Witness cult. Or as a former pastor, he's the only one I ever heard say this. Uh, he's in heaven now. I believe he's, he's Armenian, but he's in heaven, I believe, very much. He was the pastor of Bellevue Baptist Church. So they have more officers than we have members at Covenant. Huge church there in Nashville. Adrian Rogers, you may have heard him preach. He is a great preacher. <clears throat> he called them Jehovah's False Witnesses. And that kind of stuck with me. That's a lot of truth to that. Not making fun. I'm just saying it's reality. They're, they're not witnessing to the truth of who Yahweh is. Uh, perhaps you're like me, you may feel that in your encounters with folks when they just surprise you, always in a time you really wasn't the best time, you wish they wouldn't have come, and that you try to speak God's word to them, and especially to try to relate it to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I, I think we ought to be humble, certainly, in our evangelical efforts to seek to make the gospel known to whoever it may be, and I, I am sure there is room for, for growth and improvement. At least every time I shut the door and think, well, they're finally gone. I could have done better than that. Uh, I should have been more humble, certainly, and uh, contrite myself. Uh, so I think all of us can improve in our, our witness to those who are, we seek to be faithful witnesses of the gospel. Well, in, in past discussions I've had with these folks, it seems like it always gets stalled out on the Trinity, of course. They do not believe in the triune God, that there is one God and three, three persons. But the next time I have opportunity, and I was kind of hoping they'd come back the last time. I've already been visited here in Tazewell, so it doesn't take long to find out where you are, apparently. I already had a visit, and I, I was thinking, well, next time I'm going to be ready. <laughs> uh, I, I think I'll take a different route. I, uh, I was really convicted about it as I shut the door, thinking, you know, I should have confronted these folks, four folks more clearly with the, well, what is the central focus of all the Bible? Now, this is good for you children to know. I said, I was such a, I'm not saying I'm like you, I'm saying I was a sinful child. And the only verse I cared about was the shortest verse in the Bible, because I could memorize that one. Jesus wept. But there's a lot of things we learn, even as children, and we shouldn't forget them in terms of uh, just what is the Bible about? Well, that's what I think would be helpful for us in our, our witness to these folks who are certainly misdirected in their zeal. Uh, a discussion about, really, I hope I can bring that around if I have opportunity, and I'm sure I will if I live. What is God's clear priority in terms of the teaching of Scripture? We might be fruitful in thinking about that. And I want you to think about that tonight. So we think about Christmas, past, the New Year, a lot of applications to that, of course. Well, what would you say, children, and all of us as adults, is the Bible's chief message? What, what does it center upon? What if you miss that? You miss the whole thing. And that's what they've missed. They've missed the whole thing. They don't have anything right. I've shared with you before, people with sick preachers on these people. They know their Bibles, but they don't believe in Jesus. Well, we already know. I mean, I'm going there arrogant thing. Well, I can just teach you everything you need to know. But they do not know their Bible if they don't believe in Jesus. It's an impossibility. Because all the Bible is about Jesus. That is the central message of the Bible. It's easy for sinners to miss that, of course, and that's what's happening. And so I repent for the Lord and ask him to help me to be more self-directed, not, not to be not to, it's unimportant about the Trinity, of course. We don't belittle any truth of God's word. That's essential for the Christian faith. But to try to drive home 
this central focus, direction, emphasis of the whole Bible. Well, reading through the, the book of Acts, I mentioned that this morning. So, oh, no, here we go again. I, I mentioned that reading through Acts. And uh, I think I said from this pulpit several years ago that Pastor Johnson preached on it for about 35 years. I think uh, yeah. he, he preached a long time through the book of Acts. There's a lot in the book of Acts. I certainly preached a long time through there, and I think I need to do it again. It was back in the 90s when I preached through Acts. But recently, reading through it again, and I just noticed several things. For instance, in chapter 5, after being threatened by the Jewish council not to speak in the name of Jesus, that's verse 40 of chapter 5, we read this, 41. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to, be, to suffer dishonor for the name. That's important, the name. And every day in the temple and from, the house, and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Jesus is the Christ. And that's the center of what I want you to remember tonight. You already know that, I know, but I want you to know it in a new, fresh way. As we think about Jesus coming, Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Christ, the anointed one, the anointed one. When Peter was sent by God to the house of the Gentile centurion, Cornelius, I mentioned that this morning, to bear witness to the truth of the gospel, he spoke these words about Jesus. He is the one appointed by God to be judge. This is Acts 10, 42. He is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness. Do you see what they're saying? All the prophets were about Jesus. That everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And then you go on to the next chapter, chapter 11, and read that the disciples were scattered from Jerusalem because of the persecution that arose over Stephen. They were scattered. Some on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists. And Luke describes that they were do what they were doing as preaching the Lord Jesus. Couldn't help but think, Brother Henry, you've heard him say this before. Have you ever heard Henry say about preaching the gospel? You ever heard him say about preaching the gospel? You ever heard him say it? Well, you've heard him every time he opens his mouth. He's talking about preaching the gospel, preaching the gospel, which is a wonderful thing. And now I'm going to give him something else to say, preaching Jesus, because that is the gospel, isn't it? They are hand in hand. That's what they said. They were preaching the Lord Jesus, making the gospel known. That's chapter 11, verse 20 of Acts. And then you move along to chapter 17 of Acts, where Paul was at Athens, you know, and they were making fun of him there in verse 18. Some of the Epicurean Stoic philosophers also conversed with him and said, what does this babbler wish to say? The way I stutter and stumble, I'm sure a lot of people say it about me. And others said, he seeks to be a preacher of, of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. That's gospel preaching. To hear about Jesus and all that he, all he is, all he's done for us. And he's raised from the dead and alive forevermore. But perhaps most of all, and I know I've heard uh, Brother Henry on this one many times too, because it's very important, probably the most important of this whole matter about the Bible is about Jesus. When the resurrected Christ, and here's where we work, get the word hermeneutics. It's not just a fancy word. That's actually some Greek text here from Luke 24. Uh, in, uh, how to interpret the Bible. Well, Jesus gives the, great herm the greatest hermeneutics course ever been taught, and it was on the way walking to Emmaus. When those disciples, all gloomy and despair, and Jesus gives them a hermeneutics course, how to interpret the Bible. To do those as they was on their way. And here's the summary statement as we read it in Luke 24, verse 27. In beginning with Moses and all the prophets, can't get any more exhaustive than that. Nothing's left out. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted, there you have that word, 
He gave them interpreting. He interpreted them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. That's what the Bible's about. And getting back to my introduction is about talking to Jehovah's false witnesses. We need to talk to them about Jesus as earnestly as we can. Because all their notions about kingdom theology and stuff is all out of whack because the king's missing. They don't ever come to your house and start talking to you about Jesus. You ever had them talk to you about Jesus when they come to your house? Never. Well, next time they come to my house, if God gives me sense enough to talk to them, I'm going to talk to them about Jesus very pointedly, that this is the center focus of the Bible. You, you don't, might not read the Bible if you don't see Jesus in it. So anyone who reads your Bible and misses this emphasis, this focus upon Jesus, and here certainly in the year or Christmas season, we ought to think much about Jesus. It's very deficient if we don't. Yet the reality is, this is sad because it's not uncommon because we are so sinful. We tend to want to think about all kinds of interests. There's people who go to seminary and love to study theology, and they really still do not know Jesus. And you may not know Jesus. And that's the reason I'm talking to you about him. Because if you don't know Jesus, you don't have salvation. You don't have life in him. Because that's the only life there is. It's Jesus of the Bible. Not a make-believe Jesus, but what he's revealed himself in Holy Scripture. Of course, it's only by the Spirit's enabling grace that he opens our heart, as he did to Lydia, changes us, gives us ears to hear and understand, to interpret. That's what he was doing to those disciples. He wasn't just teaching them. He was opening their heart to understand that all the Scripture was about him. Ultimately, then, we dare not trust or, or depend upon any of our methods, so I don't want to encourage you to know that I've got this now. I can handle this. No, you can't. That, that kind of arrogance would just make you more shame as a child of God. But by God's blessing, he'd help me to be a faithful witness of who Jesus is. Now we turn to Matthew, focus on this very familiar passage. Beginning the gospel, I'm getting now to this genealogy. It starts off verse 1, the, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. That is Matthew's focus and main attraction. That's the attention of the book. He, the very first words that he speaks to us. What's it about? It's of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. He gives this genealogy of Jesus Christ. Interesting, just those verses I read, maybe you didn't count them, but four different times he uses both the word Jesus and Christ. Titles, names that he, we have in, in this uh, first chapter. <clears throat> As I was reading and thinking about text, what would I preach on if I lived to be able to preach here again at Trinity on the Christmas service or whatever we had it, now here we are at the end of the year. As I was trying to prepare, verse 17 is what I want you to go home with tonight. It really struck me as something that's uh, not unique in any way, but I guess I'd read it so many times it never had really sunk to my heart. So I thought I'd share it with you. Look at it, verse 17. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. Now that's what I always get hung up on about this 14. What, what does that mean? 14 generations from David to deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deport, deportation to Babylon to what? The Christ. That's what it's all about. All that, those names and all that history is leading us to the, 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 the 
I'm trying to think what it is now. It's a definite, uh, what's the word? The is what? Help me. I'm just, I can't. Article, yeah, definite article. He's telling, this is the Christ. There's no others. And that's what he's, that's what he's telling us in there, verse 17. As we saw several verses in the book of Acts, in like manner, Matthew, uh, it's just interesting to me, look up, I looked up all of the Christ in, because it's not, they don't always have, you know, that article in front of them. I just wanted to see, how often do you find that? Sometimes it's not translated. Most of the time it is. Uh, his very first statement in this book is about the beginnings of Jesus Christ, and he ends with a statement saying that all these forefathers lead us to the Christ. That's what that genealogy is about. It was interesting to tra trace out those references. I'm going to give you just a few of them. Most of them you know already. Just think about this, about the Christ. We think about the, the birth narrative in chapter 2. Uh, when they came, the wise men from the east came to ask about the birth of the king, he who is born king of Israel. And Herod, of course, loses his sense of stability. And assembling the all chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Or Matthew 16, when Jesus asked, who do men say I am? And Simon Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Or Matthew 22, 42, saying, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? This is a trick for them. You remember? The son of David. The Christ is the son of David. How can he be his son and be his Lord? <coughs> All the Bible is about the Christ. Lastly, Matthew, I'll mention 26, 62. And the high priest stood up and said, there Jesus has been trial, under this, if you call it the trial. Have you no answer to make? What is it these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, you have said so. You got that right. I am the Christ. I'm Messiah. I'm the anointed one that was spoken of all throughout the Bible. And here you are putting me to death. I thought it was very interesting. The only places you have the word Messiah in the New Testament. I almost want to raise your hand. How many of you know where those are? John's Gospel, just both of them. John chapter 1. Very interesting. We don't have that anywhere else in the New Testament. But it's Andrew. Andrew, was he was an evangelist. He took his brothers to Jesus. You remember? Peter. He brings Peter to Jesus. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found, and there is translated, Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. And then chapter 4, one of the greatest evangelists of all, of course, was Jesus himself as he ministered to that woman of Samaria, knowing what she had done, and she goes and makes a boast about that in town, shows God's grace in her heart. She was contrite and broken. When you're living like she had five husbands, one you have now is not your husband. She goes in town, and she bears witness. Come meet a man told me everything I've done. That's an open book, isn't it? So that's the other place where Messiah is mentioned in, in John chapter 4, verse 23. Excuse me, 25. The woman said to him, I know, this is that simple woman, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. You know what Jesus said to her? I who speak to you am he. I had a liberal professor in college they said, you know, you don't, you don't learn anything about Jesus being uh, divinity. There's no divinity of Jesus in the Gospel of John. I, 
I just think it's amazing how people can be so ignorant of the Bible. Right there, he says he's Messiah. And he's not divine. Well, let's look at the genealogy just briefly. Uh, there, there's probably been discussions about this ever since uh, Matthew wrote it. There's a lot of questions we have about questions sometimes we can't answer. It's also many questions about Luke's account in chapter 3 of Luke. But as I said, all the questions might not be answered, but there is a very clear threefold division here. These 14s, I said, don't get, uh, I want to give you at least some little tip <coughs> on that. The 14 generations each, because we know he left out some, and even the counting method is a little strange for us to try to figure out how he comes up with that, but we know it's God's word, and we trust that. Uh, arriving at 14, the generations ultimately come to the Christ. So I, I found what I thought was one of the best, and I read quite a bit on this, trying to think, now, what do people who interpret the Bible make of these 14 generations? I haven't asked Brother Henry. Maybe I'll ask him before I even say this, but I'm going to read what uh, Sinclair Ferguson, I think that's the most sensible thing I've read. To make out this division of 14 generations to deportation and from that from the, to the Christ down, here's what, here's what Sinclair Ferguson wrote. It was on a book back for Christmas readings. Matthew is cramming almost 2,000 years of biblical history into 16 verses, over 100 years per verse. 42 generations are listed. Most of us don't even stop to check the arithmetic. But pause for a moment and you will realize Matthew is telling us something. Telling us something, He has sorted the names into three groups of 14 generations each, from Abraham to David, from David to Babylonian exile, from exile to Christ. Why? And since we know from elsewhere in the Bible there are many more names there than the 42 generations between Abraham and Jesus, why does Matthew abbreviate them and why three groups of 14? It looks like a deliberate pattern. Well, of course it is. Then he goes on to say, one attractive explanation is the matter about numbers. Jewish people, they love numbers. Number 14 has a special significance. But we don't know exactly what that is. But here's what he, his explanation, and I'm going to leave that with you tonight, about the 14th generation. Maybe all of you know this, but I didn't know this. I thought about this, and I read Sinclair. I thought, I think this is this may be it. Uh, about those numbers meaning something. Uh, you know, I say, well, this is just how old I am. 007, what is that? Bring to mind. Well, you see, numbers mean things. You have other names. Some other numbers you might remember. Think, think the same thing about James Bond. Well, to a Hebrew who loved numbers, 14 might well be significant in that. Now, this is what I think is very biblical about this whole view. King David's number. David. The word David. Now, now people like, I know Samuel was very good in, in wherever he is. I know he's just there. Samuel with Hebrew. Pastor Johnson, I'm sure, better than I am. But. To, to make all the words in Hebrew out of three consonants is that's a that's a ringer. That is that's difficult, and and try to find those in a in a dictionary with just those three consonants and all the the endings and the the, the prefixes. It, it gets very complicated. But in the word David, there's really three consonants, and guess what they are? D V D. Now I won't try to pronounce the Hebrew word letters, but well, I guess I ought to do that. We ought to look at these three three letters because that's what he says: the dalit, the d, the valve, and the dalit. And those numbers are just like you say with the letters of the alphabet. You have four. David is d is the fourth letter, then the sixth letter, then the fourth letter. Well, if you in Matthew, you already figured that out. Four, six, four is what? Fourteen. 
And that very, very likely is the way we have these 14 generations because David is the very beginning and the middle and the end. Jesus is the son of David who is foretold, foretold to come. And that's my take on this 14 division, these 14s. And I think that's as good as I've read anywhere. Well, I began with trying to encourage us to point us as believers to, to witness of Christ when we taught the folks that come to our door or meet them in a grocery store or where we are to try to bear witness about the Christian gospel, about Jesus, the one whom we celebrate. I, I couldn't help but think about my last opportunity to witness to a double first cousin. That's what we call it in South Carolina. I don't know what you call it, but when sisters bearing brothers and the children of those, they're very close. There's close cousins you can get unless they're siblings, I suppose. So we had a bunch of them. And we were very close, not only bloodline close, but we were close growing up together. And he had COPD, COPD and on an auction for several years before he passed away. But Bill never married. He was one of the most generous souls I've ever known. And the last time I talked to him, I, I knew he'd always go to all, the, all his sisters and brothers' homes and see the gifts the kids got for Christmas. Now, he never married, never had any children, but he had such joy in seeing the gifts the children received. And so I sat down with Bill that last time I talked to him. He died that next week. I said, Bill, why do we celebrate Christmas? What, what happened at Christmas? The Christ came. That was God's gift to us. And so we think a new year, we could think many applications of this, but Christmas just passed, and it's good to think about that whole matter of bearing witness to folks about what's all this about Christmas? People have all kinds of decorations and all kinds of celebrations, but they don't even know the Christ. And so, Bill assured me he understood and he was believing and trusting in Christ before he left here. I, I prayed that it was true, that he was trusting in Christ, and I want it to be true for you. And so, let me just close by just giving you a, a few references. Brother Henry gave us several in some of his readings tonight. We could... We could bicycle through the Bible and give you many, many references about the, 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 what we read from Acts, that the, all the prophets spoke about the coming of Christ. So let me just give you a few, one that you know already, I'm sure, like Genesis 3, verse 14. I know our congregation thought, boy, this is going to be a long haul when Carl started us memorizing verses, and the very first verses we memorized was Genesis chapter 3. Well, I thought that was a pretty good place to start myself. It's not easy going, but... If you miss Genesis 3, you're really in bad shape the rest of the Bible because that's where men fell into sin. But that's also where God gives the first promise about the Christ. In verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Who is that? It's the Christ, the one who is coming to redeem mankind. Then you have others like in Genesis chapter 49, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff between his feet until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Or, and of course, Jacob's uh, prophecies concerning his sons, Judah. What I love to remember is Deuteronomy 18, 18. You can remember those verses too, 18, 18. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among the brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. You know, we could have gone the route of prophet, priest, and king. Jesus is all three of those. 
Mm-hmm. You can clearly show from the scriptures that he is fulfillment of all those prophets about the one. Like this, the prophet who is to come and speaks the very word of God. It's the Christ. Certainly don't want to list the David's, because all these references to David I just shared with you. It's on, he was the greater son of David. As we have 2 Samuel, one of the instances of it, 2 Samuel 7, where God promises to David this. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, and you shall come from your body, and, and shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever, and I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Now, who fulfills that prophecy? And you know, if you study, and I think Pastor Johnson just went through uh, Chronicles, and you have all those genealogies there lived out, and all those different kings, and and it was, uh, you know, I think of uh, that wonderful grandmother that killed her own grandchildren to stay in. I can't think of her name now. Help me here, can you? Athaliah, yeah, what a what a grandmother. You got great grandmothers, kids. You know, thank the Lord to have a, a woman like that. But I mean, the kingship was just about stamped out. <coughs> But you can't defeat God. He had that king, and ultimately through that he came the Lord Jesus Christ. One I'm sure you've heard many times, I know Covenant has, I'm sure they have here, you folks at Trinity. Psalm, Psalm 2, as for me, I've set my king on Zion. Brother Henry made me think about that passage last week, and he said, if we don't think enough about the ascension, Jesus has ascended on high, is at the right hand of God. He is interceding for us. He's reigning now, the Christ. And then we can look at many others, Brother Henry, Isaiah, 40, Isaiah 9, Isaiah 7, 7. We think about it at Christmas, the Lord himself shall give a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. It's all about coming of Jesus, the Messiah. <coughs> or, or Micah 2, Micah 5, 2. Uh, oh, Bethlehem, Ephrathah. That's what we read about the king. They knew exactly where he'd be born. Yet they didn't have enough interest to go check. That's uh, Micah 5, 2. Now let me close. Um, to all of you, all you youngest folks here, you can tell me now what the central focus of the whole Bible is. It's a thick book, 66 books. A lot of things difficult. I'm sure Pastor Johnson would confess, and I sure do. There's things that I don't think I have a full handle on yet. A lifetime of study. But yet, in this sense, it's very simple. The Bible is about Messiah, the Christ, the coming of Jesus. So next time you're confronting with someone who wants to convert you to their cult, such as Jehovah's False Witnesses or others, what will be the focus of your conversation? I was just listening, driving over on the radio, just talking about Mormon belief. They want to claim to be Christians, but they have another Jesus. It's not the Jesus of Scripture. And so when you talk to your Mormon friends, if you have any, try to hone in on that point. Well, let's talk what the Bible says about Jesus. So I hope we'll be faithful in our witness to that in this coming year in a way that we might uh, see the Lord open many hearts to the, to the gospel. Well, I hope it will be for us to love and trust the Lord Jesus Christ for all the scripture is ultimately about him. And if we begin in one year and begin another, I trust we'll be thinking our own lives, our own families, our children, grandchildren, that we will make that a priority about our lives to know and to love him, to trust him. I guess one of the greatest shames of us as we get older I, is to, to not trust Jesus more. It's, uh, he's faithful. He's, he's never 
uh, not trustworthy. So I urge you, and whatever your situation is, even tonight, to trust in him and to walk with him and live with him because he's the Christ. Let's pray. Lord, uh, thank you for your word. Help us, Lord, to be good students of the scripture, to hide your word in our hearts so we don't sin against you, to believe and trust in you and what you've done for us through your son. We'll have a greater love, greater trust for you, Lord Jesus, and what you have accomplished for us. And even now, as you have purchased the Holy Spirit, that he would come and dwell within us, Lord. Give us uh, pure hearts. Give us clean lives. Lord, uh, work powerfully in us that we might be faithful witnesses. Lord, we don't want to make fun of folks who are, are lost and undone. We, we want uh, you to help us to have a greater burden for unbelievers around us to be more faithful in our witness, to, to be able to witness to your truth, that you might uh, cause your kingdom to grow and to prosper, even in this day of much darkness, much sadness and grief. Oh, Lord, look with mercy upon us. We thank you. Thank you for these great hymns of victory that, Jesus, you reign, and you reign in us, and you, you keep your word, and therefore we rejoice in you. And we pray this all in that name that is above all names, the Lord Jesus. Amen.